1: Welcome to Punching Out, a show about work. You are here with Ariel. This is Chris, Tom, and on the uh, on the line we have uh, we have Buick. Say hey, hi, I'm Buick, Buick Audra. Hey. hey, Buick Buick Audra, right?
2: Yeah. Good. Great. Okay.
1: Um, so today uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the music music business, the music industry, um, what it means to be a professional musician, and uh, to get started in that we'll talk. We'll have the person who has the most experience here uh, just tell us a little bit about themselves um, and then we'll sort of launch into launch into discussion of uh, the experience of being a a music professional. <laughs> um, so, so, uh, where do you, where do you live? Where do you work?
3: Uh, I live in Nashville, Tennessee and I guess I work, I play in this hardcore band called Friendship Commanders <laughs> here, but mostly we tour. But we live here.
1: Oh, uh, so how, how, much of the year to your tour?
3: We only tour a few months of the year, but it's it's, it's a pretty good chunk for a band our size. Yeah. and um, We're touring a good bit this, starting next month, actually, a little bit at the end of this month, but we're, we're doing a tour where we're going to a bunch of the, the states that have low voter turnout, and we're doing voter drives at our punk shows.
1: Well, it's fantastic.
2: Yeah, thanks.
0: Do you think, I mean, do you think like putting a do you think that that might uh, limit you at all? Like putting a, like a political purpose um, f- for your touring, does that limit kind of where you're able to go? Um, or, I mean, are you just maybe past the point where you're trying to, you know, reach as many people as possible and you're kind of doing it as, you know, because you really like it and because you're trying to serve those ends to begin with.
3: Are You're asking if the, if the political part of it limits. Yeah. Like, cause I
0: know like you said you're targeting places that have like low voter turnout. Um, it's your are you're, you're Kind of focusing on like voter drives instead of because i know we, we were talking before the show and you said how um you know it's really about touring like if you're trying to make money tour as much as possible and, and build relationships in as many places as possible um so are you are yeah. you kind of at a point where your your goal is more political with with your touring or are you still someone who is trying to tour as much as you can and, and make some money more money uh,
3: we're definitely trying to tour as much as we can and we're still um Pursuing shows that put us in front of large numbers of people, Um, but we felt really strongly about doing a a tour for about a month that was focused on this sort of civic duty Mm. part of it. Um, And honestly, I mean, we are very left-leaning politically, but the, the voter registration drive is open to anybody, so you could reasonably be a conservative person and still come get registered to vote at our show. <laughs> yep, it's, uh, it's, it's really sort of nonpartisan to register, isn't it? Um, so, you know, we are just we just want to make it available and make sure that people have resources. So we're doing online voter registration at our shows through Rock the Vote. We're partners with them, but then yeah. we're also doing hard copy stuff in every single state that we're touring through.
0: Oh, wow. How long have you been? Yeah, it's the project. Touring, playing with this band. I mean, have you been in different bands? And also, um, what do you think's changed the uh, the most over the time that you've been touring and, and performing?
3: Um, I've been in a bunch of different bands. I've been in Friendship Commanders for five years, um, and we've been touring steadily for about two and a half years. So um, the first couple of years, we only did like little regional runs for two to five days at a time, and now we go out for about a month each time that we tour. Um, and, uh, you know, I was in my first band 20 years ago for about eight years. And I would say that the internet has changed things quite a bit, obviously being in this band and being in a band in the nineties, two completely different things. Um, I think there are more resources, but I also think there's an oversaturation and a true apathy toward music right now, which makes it difficult to cut through, which is why I think touring is so important and connecting with people in person.
0: What do you think, uh, like, kind of makes that apathy so, like, apparent to you? Um, Because I know, like, there's oversaturation, which to me has been interesting because um, it's been easier than ever to, like, get exposed. It used to be, like, back in the day, like, you had to kind of, like, work your way into, like, these record labels, and at least from what I'm told, um, which, I mean, turns out, like, that was actually slightly better than what's going on now, where now you have so many people able to get their name out, where everyone is kind of just trying to climb over each other. Um, But what makes it so apparent to you that there is apathy um, among fans, among people that you you see out in the world?
3: Um, I just, I think that the value of music has diminished quite a bit and people don't feel like they have to work to uh, interact with music Mm -hmm. because of streaming platforms and I guess like YouTube and all that sort of thing. People sort of feel like if they can watch your YouTube video that they have your whole they have a complete understanding of what you're doing and don't need to invest any more energy in figuring it out. Um, and I think it makes it very difficult to um, connect with people in a meaningful way. And, and I've, I've, in Nashville, it's super apathetic 'cause because everybody that lives here is a musician, so nobody cares about anybody else's work. Right. Um, and it's a terrible, terrible, terrible place to play. I say that openly. Wow. I don't care what <laughs> anybody thinks about me saying that horrifying place to play music. And, uh, even if you're pretty successful. I mean, there are well-known musicians that have been quoted saying, like, if I want a quiet night to myself, I book a show in Nashville. It's, you know, <laughs> oh, it's, a, man. it's a terrible place to play less music. And, um, I mean, I just went to go see Royal Thunder about two months ago here. And they're a great band. And they have a, a pretty big following in the metal scene. Uh, they're out of Atlanta. And there were maybe 40 people at their show. Woof. Oh, my
1: God. In Nashville.
0: It's Music City. Yeah. Come on. Well, that's part of the problem, right? <laughs> <laughs> is, 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 is,
1: is is that a func- Is that a function of the uh, of the fact that there's so many bands, um, especially like in in a musical industry uh, epicenter like Nashville, that people aren't showing up because yeah. there's just too too damn many things to do.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. It's terrible.
4: When I well, this is Tom. When I was a, a musician in in the in the 80s in in the punk scene you know, we had like a ready-made audience. I mean, I was in the first hardcore band in Rochester and it's the first show we played, yep. there was like a hundred people there. And yeah. then we, we steadily always had two to 300 people at all our shows just because they were starving for it, right. you know? And, yeah. and, and, when we, we toured, uh, in the late eighties and, and we had, I had to like, you know, get a hold of Kamala from, uh, you know, I can't remember. She, she was, she had booked a bunch of tours. She booked the Op IV tour and a bunch of other bands. And, um, so she helped right. me, she helped me, you know, figure out how to book the tour, but I had to do it all on the phone and everything, you know? And, and we, sure. you know, you know yeah. so it's like, you know, now you, you just could probably do it on the internet or whatever. I can't even imagine how you would book a tour. Now it seems like it would be a much easier than what I did. <laughs> the, it is. And it isn't.
3: Yeah. I mean, we don't have a booking agent. We do it all ourselves. And, uh, I will say that once you've, right now, like in my experience is that once we started touring a bit, like returning to those places became a little bit easier. But every time we break into new territories, it's like pulling teeth, mm-hmm. you know, unless we have somebody in that city advocating for us that already has a following there or whatever and is willing to help us get the show that we need to be on. But it's super difficult.
1: I, I, I would wonder whether or not, so uh, the hardcore scene, um, it's sort of famous for a kind of DIY uh, practices and also like um, sort of this notion that like building a community is a really important thing, um, especially since it's hardcore is for most of its history being kind of on the fringes of uh, popular music. Do you find that um, the hardcore scene is somewhat more insulated from the kind of oversaturation and apathy that you've experienced, or sort of generally speaking, um, or or is it the same?
3: Um, because it is traditional You know, we're not. We're not really – yes, I think that they are a little bit more – I think that their paradigm has has more or less been the same, and I think that there is less apathy in hardcore. Uh, We're not really included in a lot of hardcore stuff. I'm not entirely sure why. I think it might be because I'm female, Um, and there's just – it's just still – at least in my experience, and this is just my experience, Mm -hmm. that seems to still be very male-dominated. Yeah. And um, they're pretty happy with that, you know. Mm. I was just looking up the uh, the lineup for the This Is Hardcore Festival in Pennsylvania, and I found one woman Whoa. the entire
1: the entire bill. My goodness!
4: I, th- I think it's interesting because you know, in the early days of punk, there was lots of women involved, and it was a you know, it was a lot of I different. I know. And you know, the shift happened you know in the early to mid '80s when you know it became a much more macho you know, um, yeah. aggressive form of music. And, you know, I was right in the middle of that. I totally guilty, you know, but, uh, Tom's macho. Yeah. I'm super, I'm mass macho, uh, <laughs> but it bugged me and it, and it, and it, but like for me, you know, at the time that dynamic was what turned me off and made me leave. That, that, yeah. it, because it, it, like, I was like at a certain level of machismo and then there was all these bands from New York, like hard stance and war zone. And yeah. I mean, they were, bo- <laughs> they were like borderline Fascist, fascists, right? Yeah. Right. right. You know, yeah, and, and totally. that, that just totally turned me off. It was just like a bunch of jocks running around, punching each other in the face. And I'm like, I'm out. Right. Right.
3: Yeah. And then there were the the other factions. There was straight edge hardcore, which was also very yeah. exclusive and kind of uh, you know not obviously not the most inclusive genre <laughs> in the world and. Right. Um, but yeah I, it has remained pretty macho, so stylistically a lot of our music is hardcore but i would not say that we are at the epicenter of hardcore we're yeah. not um we're just we're just doing what we're doing musically and largely being ignored by the hardcore community which mm. is fine it's okay.
1: <laughs> do do you find <laughs> yourself a do you find yourself a fit with other um with other sectors of like music genres uh, are, are there are there some communities that are welcoming to you even though like on its face you, you don't really kind of cater to their sensibilities. Yeah. Like
2: it,
3: it seems to me that metal has been the most inclusive of what we do. I mean, like even, we don't play Nashville terribly often, but we're playing here on May 4th at a pretty big venue for Nashville rock standards. We're opening for a band called Red Fang. Oh, yeah. On Relapse Records. Yeah, Red Fang's great. And they chose us. Oh. Um, so, you know, it's, it's like we have an okay time with that kind of community, and we really appreciate it because, um, that's really the only place we're ever invited
1: in that world. Like outsiders to to metal don't really appreciate the extent to which metalheads just kind of like want to have fun. Uh, Yeah. And so, yeah, we're a little less like sectarian and serious about stuff. I mean, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll police genre um, boundaries to the death, but usually that's in good fun. Um, Usually. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah. But
3: that community is definitely the most welcoming to us. And um, that tends to be where we go.
1: That
4: sounds right. I I, yep. I was I went to a show at uh that what you just mentioned that club in um oh, St. Vitus, Vitus and and oh, yeah. uh there was some thrash metal bands playing and I walked in and the second I walked in I was like this is like punk in 1980 like it Hell, was yeah. it was like everybody was having fun there was no like no posing everybody there was like a good mixture of different kinds of people there and everybody was just there to have fun and it was fun You know, it was like, you know, metal somehow became punk.
3: (laughs) Sure. Yeah. We, we enjoy playing festivals and shows like that for sure. Yeah, Um, The genre stuff falls away and it just ends up being about having any sort of community or any sort of authentic experience.
1: (laughs) Yeah. 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 And
3: anything will do. Talk about something
1: people, people are or should be desperate for uh, these days. And that's it. I mean, just being able to be in a room with a bunch of people with a shared interest and just to be able to enjoy yourself and be open about it.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I crave that. Yeah. Um, we have a much better time with that on the road than we do a national.
0: Yeah. I mean, it sounds like there's like, I mean, decent, at least with a couple bands, like the band you just mentioned, like there's some decent like solidarity, you know, kind of help each other out. Like, Hey, I'll put you on my show kind of thing. Has there ever been um, in, in your 20 years of, of doing this, any kind of effort for like larger groups of bands, you know, almost maybe like an entire local scene to kind of come together and not really like unionize, but have a way of like kind of demanding more out of um, what you're doing booking wise, how much you guys get. Has there been any kind of action like that, even maybe not even just in your experience, but anything you've heard about just from being a person in music? Has there been any kind of like collective effort or is it kind of like all these genres are so broken up now, to where it's like everyone's—you know—a handfuls of bands are just kind of fighting for themselves.
3: You know, I've I've heard of things like what you're talking about less on a level of it being like we're all a bunch of bands and we want to sort of serve our community better and demand better, um, whatever, better circumstances. It, I've heard I've heard of things like the Seraphim Collective out of Detroit, who are more like they're doing something that's more based on gender identity and less on it being specifically about music or a genre of music, but they're like a, they're a group that are calling for solidarity with like uh female and femme bands and businesses and record labels. And they've been, uh, they've reached out to us before we played one of their festivals uh, at third man records last summer um, when we were on tour. So, I mean, I feel like less so just about the music, but more about, some kind of community effort to right. to come together and, and make something better for all of us. But I, I love the idea of what you're talking about. And I feel like we should probably get to work on that the minute we get off the phone. <laughs> yeah.
0: Sure. Yeah. It's easy.
4: I mean, I, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about is, you know, there was a, I just saw just a Facebook post from a local band where there's a local club. I can't remember which one. I probably shouldn't even mention it if I do, but uh, they, they do that thing where they make bands like pay to play. They make them sell tickets, and if they don't sell X number of tickets, then they yeah. can't play. Yeah, that's that's Awful. the kind of horrible, horrible, like you know, oppressive business practice that, you know, I think that we as fans and band members should just completely boycott any yeah. place like that does that. I agree. I agree. Fans I agree. wouldn't even
0: know, you know. Like I feel like as a fan, like I wouldn't know that that's going. If I go to, I just went to a show a few weeks ago. Like I wouldn't know that maybe some of the smaller bands that were before the band I actually wanted to see, yeah, I'm sure they had to, cause they were all super local, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I don't know if there's even a way to like find that out unless you know people who are running these places and yeah. and doing the booking. I mean, it's,
3: I think the Roxy in LA runs like that.
4: Yeah. I
0: right. think
3: the Roxy. Right.
0: Yeah. It always has. It has since the eighties.
3: <clears throat> yeah. Mm-hmm. Right.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I,
3: yeah, I mean, I would prefer to just do, like, on this voter registration tour that we're doing, we're playing a couple of sort of, quote-unquote, non-traditional spaces. Like, we're playing an art space in Memphis called Crosstown Arts.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I mean, and they provide a PA and, like, a couple folding tables, and we do the rest. But it's 60 bucks for the room for six hours. Great. Yeah. You yeah, know what is. I mean? <laughs> like, I'd rather just do that and rent your space for some nominal fee, you know, and just— do the rest ourselves and be truly DIY because that's reasonable. We can pull that off, you know?
1: Yeah. Alternative spaces are totally underrated. Like the, some of the best shows I've I ever seen have been in like abandoned, like f- facilities and basements. Uh, I, oh, I remember yeah. like I played, I played a show in a, like an improv noise band in Ohio. They had a place called rubber city noise cave. And it was just this, yep. like this, this kind of brutal looking space, but it was just, it was there. It was available. People knew about it. Uh, and people took care of it uh, and we just had great shows there and the turnouts were good and it was it was accessible um and yeah. it, it had a kind of it had a kind of ambiance you don't get at like a bar or a hayplane bars I'd love to
0: go to a noise cave yeah. any place called a noise cave sounds great so
1: so who does uh so you're talk about a bit about the business model of your band you know if you can call it that right so like do you have any label support uh, do you run a label um, you know, what share of your income is from touring versus from merchandise and stuff like that? Like, what, is it, what does it look like to be in your band?
3: So, okay, so our band is such that we have, I do have a record label called Trimming the Shield Records that I've run for 15 years. Mm. Um, and the majority of what I've released is music that I've in some way been a part of, whether it's like that I produced someone's album and put it out or it's some project that I was in um, or am in. Friendship Commanders is just two people, the band that I'm in now, which is a, a huge part of why we're able to tour. Yeah, our right. overhead is so low. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've seen ska bands on the road. Like, seriously, that's <laughs> <decorate laughs> great people. And I can't imagine how they're doing it. It's, you know, it seems can, impossible, you know, yeah. It's out of control. To to I can't imagine worrying about that and trying to get that down the road. But um, so our band is two people. And like I said, we only started touring about, halfway through our being a band and the only real income that we make is from touring. We do make some, you know, we do get checks from, or, you know, digital payments from iTunes and all that kind of stuff a couple of times a year, like you do. But I think that, um, everything that we sell merchandise was music wise, whatever experience wise happens in the live setting. And, uh, surprisingly, we make a pretty good amount of money from vinyl sales, uh, which I would never have thought would be true like 10 years ago. But vinyl has made such a a big reemergence in the music world for for certain types of people, not for everybody. But but it's really appealing. And if you have it, people want it. So um, and it's good because it's, you know, it's a sort of special thing to sell somebody a vinyl record. I still have vinyl records that I bought. You know when I was first going to shows, and I'll have them for the rest of my life if right. they matter to me. They, yeah. they have a different kind of value than a, a, than does a CD or something. I think yeah. um, all those little etchings. You know, there's just something about that that's like I remember really geeking out about that.
1: Well, it, it sort, sort of makes game? sense. It sort of makes sense that vinyl would make its way back in, right? Because we we're kind of talking about the 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 impossibility of scarcity. Uh, these days of music as a which makes it like sort of impossible to commodify um but then but then if you have this sort of atavistic medium like uh, like vinyl or something like that it's something you can kind of make a token out of a fetish and it is actually scarce it is actually a scarce thing so it kind of makes sense that like people would sort of go back to that as a medium for enjoying music and collecting so they can feel like they're actually doing something to have a collection yeah there's some cost to
3: it The thing about it is that it's expensive to get it pressed. Period. In any in any quantity. It's just an expensive piece of merchandise so the whole thing about us having it is that we kind of once we started having vinyl for us for our very first album we realized we really did have to go on the road because mm-hmm. you're you're not gonna you're just not gonna sell out of your record sitting around at your house yep. you know i mean that's
2: yep. Nice. Yep. <laughs>
3: you're gonna sell 10 copies to your closest friends and your mom and then that's the end of it and mm-hmm. then you know so touring has really been where we've been able to do that and you know people do still want to you know if they love your live show they do still want to talk to you afterward and have you write stuff on their record and mm-hmm. and and I'm more than happy to be a part of that experience. I love it. But, um, yeah, being a duo, we're able to tour in one van without a trailer. Um, you know, we're able to sleep on people's floors most of the time. Although sometimes we do just sort of spring for adulthood and stay in <laughs> hotels and motels and just have a good life experience. Cause it's really worth it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it I slept on some
1: pretty grody <laughs> floors before. And if I could avoid that, I would love to. Yeah.
3: And if we play one festival on the tour, it usually pays for that, you know? So, yeah. um, that kind of stuff. Um, and then just recently, like so another way that a little bit of money has started to be generated, is this is so ridiculous, I can't believe I'm going to admit this on this show with you guys, but the television show Nashville just hired me to play me, Whoa. the woman from French. Nice. Yeah, um, on one of their episodes. And for that purpose, they paid me, you know, the SAG rate to be on camera and play one of our songs. And then they also licensed the song.
4: Oh my god. So uh
3: yeah. it was a lot of money.
4: Yeah, I bet. And that's a great song. I it's worth a... it. That that song is a great <laughs> song. It's totally worth it. We should play we should play that on the we should play the song on, on the episode for people. Oh like yeah, the, yeah. Like the yeah, closing yeah. party. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll we'll Maybe play good.
1: your we'll play your song. <laughs> is that okay? Can we do that? I don't know if there's sure, any other legalities we have to work oh, out. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. We'll we'll talk yeah, about it afterward know. before we do it, okay? Um, uh, but no that's so that, that's, that's that, fantastic that's that kind really...
3: of stuff is helpful Yeah you sure. can get it you know getting your song placed somewhere
1: yeah 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 hopefully hopefully that show hits syndication or something and then you can keep getting residuals after that yeah
3: um, totally so um, but yeah keeping our overhead low keeping it realistic having having some vinyl we have both a, a vinyl full length and a vinyl 7 inch both of which have done well and someone mentioned Op Ivy uh, Jesse Michaels co-wrote one of the songs with me for our 7 inch sweet. Um
4: I tried to and get him cool. I tried to get him to be on the show, but he he didn't yeah. respond. He didn't respond to me, so he's, he's not big on. timed us. Yeah.
1: <laughs> he's dead he's to a
2: us. Yeah, he
4: didn't sure. he didn't yeah. want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he
3: doesn't like to participate in much.
4: Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> all he knows is that he doesn't know anything. Uh That's right. So um so that's all really interesting. Um so do you have a day job?
3: Yes. I have a I have a couple of different things that I do. One and one of them is music related actually. Um I have for the last three or four years um composed and recorded music for a video series out of New York City. Um this awesome female run production group uh hires me to do their music for their and and they partner with organizations like the Anti Defamation League and Ben Bells, and they do these um Kind of in the style of the PSAs from the Ad Council. They do these, like, 30-second to five-minute pieces for organizations, and then I'm the person that composes the music to their finished videos.
0: Oh, that's interesting. That's pretty cool. It's a cool, like, niche to have. I mean...
3: It is. And I learned how to edit to video in that job. So that was a sort of a neat thing to learn how to do, and I've used it in Friendship Commanders since.
0: Is there, I mean... Like, more generally speaking, um, as far as – because I know – I mean, I know you said Nashville's, a, I guess, apparently a bad place to play, which I didn't know. Um, but, it is, <laughs> um but it's still – I mean, it, it still kind of probably is like a, a central place where at least artists kind of congregate, um, maybe too many of them. But is – so due to that, is there a certain kind of performer or a certain genre that you see is maybe doing a lot better than others as far as actually being able to make money, get tours easily – um, cause I know like, for me, like I would guess that maybe it'd be like, uh, like EDM DJs, people that are uh, mixing music, um, maybe rappers who put stuff on SoundCloud, um, things like that, that seem to, you know, uh, people seem to get big really quick. Like there's a lot of them happening right now that get famous.
1: Do you mean with specifically within Nashville or just sort of global?
0: Or, well, really globally, I was gonna ask. but okay. I think Nashville, yeah. But, I've, but if, you know, I feel like Nashville might be actually like representative of that because of how many different uh, musicians there are there. Um, but do you feel like uh, there are genres that are doing really well? Um, and,
3: and... Um, in, in, within Nashville, it's definitely its own thing. Nashville seems to be generating a lot of, like, obviously a lot of, like, Americana sort of singer songwriter stuff. But then, um, sort of, yeah, Nashville has its own thing. Okay. To tell you the truth, I don't know too much about what they're doing here. It's weird, it's <laughs> different all the time. But, um, I hear but it's out a... in the world it seems to me that there's a certain brand of metal that's doing really well. Um, like the Chelsea Wolf brand of metal, you know, uh, the stuff that's being recorded by the engineer, Kurt Ballew. Um, That, that seems to be a whole movement of music. All those bands are doing re- really well. Metoid Man, um, the, the label Sergeant House. That, that's, that stuff all seems to be very accessible to, even to people that don't even seem to be into metal otherwise. Which is the fascinating thing about it. We're not talking about people that have been listening to metal for 30 years. They're just getting into metal now and that's the metal that they're
0: accepting. It's just what's there. So. You know. It's timing probably. But is there, is there like, like a reason why, do you think? I mean, is it um, just the kind of uh, management that's maybe around those kinds of bands? Is it their own uh, business models or is it just kind of like that's the taste that's just there at the right time for them?
3: I don't know. I don't know how they've all done that. I, I will say that they all seem to not be political. Mm. Um, that, that There seems to be, it's interesting to me right now, seems like when we should all be saying exactly what we need to be saying. And that's what I come from. I come from political music and I make somewhat tropical music, but it's interesting that I think a lot of people want to escape what's happening now. And so they're dialing into music that doesn't speak to the, the truth of what we're all going through there's the, an escapism in music
4: the the interesting thing i think about metal and and i don't know if these bands i've actually never heard of any of that stuff but <laughs> you know metal a lot of times follows along with like a science fiction type vibe yes which may, yeah. many which many people view as being an escapist type of form but to me science fiction and and metal the kind of lyrics horror lyrics and stuff they, they, what they do is they imagine a different world, you know. They, they yeah. put forth a, a world that isn't this one, and in a way, it's escapist. But it, it's in another way, it's actually like inventing a world that is not as crappy as the one we're in now, or maybe it's worse. Sure. Or, or maybe yeah. it's, or maybe it's much right. worse. It's you know. Canadian but it, or something. Right. but it, but it puts a contrast of one kind or another to the world we live in now. So it could be, that could be part of it. I don't know.
3: Yeah. And and I can't say that all those people are making science fiction. I I don't know the work well enough to definitely say that, but it's not, I know it's not political music. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. It's Um, just
0: another way, like, that we talk about on this show, on on Punching Out, like, where the, you know, the market is kind of squeezing out uh, people who want to make some sort of political transformation, either in their own industries or, you know, or even just speaking their mind about it and, you know, organizing people and, you know that's that seems because i know like there's a band they're kind of weird but they're also pretty hardcore they're called enter shikari and they're basically like a a welsh like communist band basically like a lot of their messaging is around that and i have a lot of friends who like we all like used to listen to them and like they found out that they were like really political and they slowly started listening to them less like it's less cool because it's about (laughs) like a message you know like i like that that's the thing i like you know i'm I'm like 25, like I don't know if that's just the thing or with people my age, um, but like that is a thing like I've noticed just among people who are just strictly fans, you know, so I, I think that's it, definitely a real thing, unfortunately.
3: Yeah, I think it is. I think it's just a. there might be some generational stuff. I don't know, but um,
1: Have, you, have yeah, you ever run into any issues with your politics? Uh, you know, trying to get shows or uh, being like frozen out of uh, industry stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, yes. uh, like what? Did you tell us about this.
3: Well, yeah, like we've been, uh, you know, not to keep harping on this voter registration tour, but yeah. some people saw it as um, a partisan thing. And we had some spaces in Texas absolutely shut their doors um, because they thought we were a bunch of lefties coming in. And we, and we are. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Good, for, good for them for seeing that coming down the road. <laughs> but um <laughs> gird your lines indeed. Um <laughs> But, yeah, no, they, we've definitely been shut out. Were but, they explicit?
1: Know, Were they explicit about shutting yeah. you out for that reason?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We don't want you pinkos in here.
3: Yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm glad we just both know who we, we are now. That's right. fine, you know? Right. Let there be no illusions. Um, yeah. Uh, and I'm sure it's been more polite what has happened here in Nashville and nobody... But, you know, this is the bless your heart region, so yeah, nobody yeah, actually yeah. just comes out says that here. <laughs> But yeah, we've definitely run into some roadblocks. And, and, and again, because not only are we political, but I'm female. And that's mm. even more sort of shrill to some, you know, right. to have a woman yeah, railing on about her opinions than, you know, three guys. It really does present differently for some people.
1: That makes sense. Um, so maybe maybe the last, uh, so we're coming up on a break. Um, maybe Maybe the last <laughs> half of this we can talk about. Uh, we can sort of focus on your experiences as a, as a, not only a musician, but as a, as a woman uh, in the industry. Sure. Um, and this is kind of a good segue. So, um, so we're going to go to a break and we'll be back. Thanks. Hey, hey guys, you know that feeling you have at work, that dead inside feeling, bad news. We can't
2: really help with that. Good news. We can help you waste some time at work. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYO LPFM Rochester. Your boss isn't listening, but we are.
1: Welcome back to Punching Out. You're here with Ariel. Chris, and Tom, and Buick.
4: And Buick. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> he, was, he was pointing at you. I was <laughs> pointing.
1: I was pointing at you. Yeah, just to, just How to could time she myself. Not know? Um, so yes, uh, and, and Buick is uh, is a working musician uh, in Nashville, and uh, we. Sp- spent a little bit of time in the last, uh, half hour talking just sort of about the the experience of that. Um, but I, we want to kind of focus this half hour on the experience of being a woman while doing all of that. Um, which it, it just seems on its face to be, um, more difficult. <laughs> and I just, so we, we want to <laughs> hear, hear, hear a little bit about that. So, um, can you, I mean, it's just a sort of a leading question. So, um, does it does it seem to you that it's been more difficult in this industry uh, as a woman?
3: Um, I think it can be difficult for me because I am the specific kind of woman that I am. I'll say that. I, I won't say that it's difficult to be every woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I I am a woman that um, presents very boldly. I'll say, and my work is aggressive yeah. and it's non-apologetic and I want to mend suit on stage. And there's, there's nothing attractive in a sort of sexy way about what I'm doing. And that tends to, there are people that really dial into that and, and really relate to it. And the music is accepted by them. And then there are people that reject it outright, including other women. Right. So, <clears throat> um, I, I have been other women in my life and and been more accommodating and more pleasant and it's been an easier time. Um, yep. In this project, I am not that and we definitely run into some dead ends. Mm.
0: Have you seen like other women in other bands or even maybe you've been in a band with other women um, who you've seen them just have to, maybe not just change who they are behind the scenes, but like drastically, you know, change their music, change the way that they handle booking or, you know, maybe just getting, uh, like, screwed over with, you know, getting paid or getting paid as much. Um, have you seen, like, those kind of things happen over and over again? Um, or is it just... Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
3: Um, yeah, it's definitely um, it's definitely expected for women to behave a certain way in order to get through the door. Um, and, and I have seen women accommodate that, and I definitely don't fault them, and it's not my job to fault anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, I just choose not to, but it, the road is longer, for sure. And even, even right down to like dealing with people within, not just in the sort of like business end of things, not not like the quote unquote gatekeepers, but even just like recording engineers and dealing with people mixing and mastering a record. And um, yeah, we deal with sexism quite a lot.
2: Just
4: um, no, you, you people, just you just, rec- you, just, you, just Steve, <laughs> you just recorded with Steve. You just recorded with Steve Albini. What what was that like?
3: Recording with Steve was the most surprising and refreshing experience I've ever had. And I honestly went in with my fists balls at my side because,
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, I've been around for a while and I've, you know, I've made records with some really great recording engineers and I've made music with some really disappointing human beings and, right. um, and friendship commanders had only previously recorded our own work. We recorded and mixed everything we had done up to the Albini records. And we decided to work with him and I really had to like just let go of my expectations and just understand that the primary purpose of working with him was that he's such a profoundly gifted engineer. Really and I is. love his work and I've wanted yeah. I mean, he's just been my favorite my whole life. So
1: I'm, it's really good that you, got to, like, you got to you to work with him. So like he uh yeah. he's sort of famous as being uh, he's, he's famous for being like incredibly open about his opinions. Right. Um, and so when you, when you say you went in, when you went in with your fistball, did you, did you think that he was going to be kind of a domineering presence in the booth?
3: I thought he was going to be like dismissive and never even look at me, Mm. you know, like that he was going to just be like this sort of weirdo that sat at the board and just, you know, we'd heard these horror stories. People love to been a story, you yeah, know that yeah. they read something and tape off, and then it turns into, you know, four hundred times removed. And every person in the world had told us that he was a nightmare. And um, <clears throat> but we had made the commitment, and we wanted to work with him. And it, to be totally frank, it was like one of my life goals to work with Steve Albini. yes yeah, sir fair. Um, and and this record was the one that we were ready. So, you know, he's he's wonderful. Um, he's he's super kind i say that right out of the gate.
1: I'm personally relieved he's, to hear that because he's kind of a hero of mine, too.
3: Okay. He, yeah, and he, he deserves that status. He's really yeah. kind. He's hilariously funny. He's very dry. Hmm. Um, and I found him to be the most unbiased, most level um, and reasonable and professional person to work with that I've ever worked with in my life. That's great. So I, as a woman not that we're only speaking about that but and my bandmate Jerry had the same experience with him mm-hmm. um but as a woman it was the most positive experience I've ever had working with a male recording engineer like Barnum wow so
4: that's good
1: to hear yeah that is good to hear so by contrast right so what what is it what is it like to have someone who uh isn't, isn't so good, uh, as Steve Albini and, uh, less of a good person. What is that? What is that like walking into a, walking into a studio and having an engineer who uh, doesn't have his virtues?
3: What that is like is that they spend the entire session talking to Jerry, who is male, mm. uh, who's the drummer in friendship commanders and, um, talking about his talents and talking about his career and talking about, um, basically only addressing him and treating me as though I'm sort of the secondary musician that happens all the time Mm. to us that happens in meetings about albums. It happens to us. I mean, it's, it's so common here. It's like insane. And I really, I really needed Albini to not be like that. But I, but I,
2: (laughs) but I, but I I didn't
3: know, you know, I didn't know. I'd never spoken with a woman who had worked with him before. I'd only spoken with guys and, um, it's it's wonderful
4: it's hard for me to imagine that 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 somebody's head could be that twisted around because i've seen you play and it's all you you know what i mean i mean it's all it's all buick up there and you know you're like one of the loudest bands i've ever heard i had to like jam like (laughs) 10 things into my ears because it was so loud and you're just like right out there and you know, like Jerry's there and stuff, but like it's you know it's kind of the Buick Audra show. I just can't imagine somebody being like, "Hmm, yes, I think I'll just talk about this guy who's playing the drums."
0: Because <laughs> yeah, drummers are so famous for getting all of the spotlight. Right? Yeah, it's, it's just like you'd really have
4: to have a twisted mentality to do that with your band. It's just it's it's, it's, it's it just boggles my yeah. mind. Yeah, yeah. Internalized well, patriarchy it, will do that, right?
3: I think it's just that some people are uncomfortable with a woman getting any credit I mean I think it's just that basic yeah. you know like they just need to find a way to credit the man yeah I don't know it's it is talk about science fiction I mean it blows my mind on a regular basis even though I experience it quite often um
4: yeah it's like but yeah
3: um that's we crazy. had this great experience and the record will come out this year and um truly even if the record is heard by five people it was one of the best experiences of my life
0: oh, working up there that's nice Is that does yeah. that like create um, tension? I know you're only a two person band, but does it ever create tension um, between you and, and Jerry or, or you and anyone else you've been in a band with um, kind of having mm-hmm. those experiences and thinking like, you know, even though it's not, it might not be your bandmate's fault that that's happening. Um, but has that ever led to like problems in, that have built up into something worse in bands or maybe even a brand breakup, anything like that?
3: Oh, yeah. Yes. Thank you for asking that. Yeah. I mean, most of the time, Jerry and I are able to understand that it's coming from the outside. But I have definitely flipped out a couple of times behind the scenes and been like, you need to say something when someone starts saying that stuff. You know, yeah. like it feels. Um, and I don't know if that's necessarily true, but he does need to say that. But it feels like that to me sometimes. Like I want if they can only hear him. Like, if they only understand man, then then he should have to address it, you know, and say, like, hey, so thank you for listening to our work and for considering sending it to so-and-so. However, this song that you're playing over and over again, which is called Women to the (laughs) Front— was
2: (laughs) was <laughs>
3: written by... <laughs> I, mean, I know, it's like we can laugh about it, it's crazy. But it's like, this is a real thing that happens. Like, this song that you're listening to called Women to the Front was, was written by Buick. <laughs> you know? And you shouldn't only be speaking to me about it because I'm the drummer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. But it's like, you know, I don't know if that's a founded expectation or not, but there are times where my views are spry, and I just... You know, I have about three tantrums a year about it. Um,
1: where I just totally flip out. That seems reasonable. Three, that's three's not a good dog. Yeah, that's, uh, good it's job. almost, it almost, <laughs> it
4: almost seems saintly to me. I'd be punching people in the face left and right.
3: <laughs> I think that's what happens in the music. I think that's where it goes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: honestly, it makes it better. Is there like, um, this isn't as much of a, uh, like a gender related question, but is there, any kind of like uh, ray of light in all in all this as far as because um, I know you mentioned um, like in our previous segment about like apathy and about how you know how diffused all the distribution is and how that's costing people money but is there anything that you see uh, positive um, that's happening um, as far as you know bands being able to um, get the attention they they deserve or, or simply the money they deserve to survive or at least or even thrive um, are there things that are happening that um, give you some optimism?
3: Let's see. I don't know. I mean, I'm definitely really optimistic, even though I've, it's difficult. I mean, I think that one of the things that I think is interesting that's happening now, I mean, it doesn't really serve our generation, any of our generation necessarily, is that these sort of, um, these like camps for kids that are creating music and um, you know, like the girls rock and roll camps and things like that. And these opportunities for people to be, um, cultivating music communities at a much younger age than we were. Mm. I mean, I think the first like music community that I ever felt like I was a part of, I was already in my teens. And uh, Friendship Commanders is playing the Southern Girls Rock and Roll Camp in July for girls that are like eight years old. That's awesome. That are you know playing drums and play, doing bands for the week with their friends. And there have been some bands that have come out of Nashville that have been directly formed in that in that paradigm. There oh. was a band for 10 or more years here called those darlings. Have you ever heard of that project? No, no. Um, Jesse Zazu uh, just died actually at the age of 28, but her band uh, those darlings was formed in the Southern girls rock and roll camp when they were teenagers. Um, And so I feel like, you know, there are some different opportunities for people to start to feel plugged into themselves and to the the people around them and to make work and to build their own scenes out of that. That seems positive. I do ultimately think that, you know, the speed at which we're able to share information about music is positive, even if there's oversaturation. I mean, like, I don't know if we were already recording, but Tom was talking about our mutual friend, Zach Barocas and his band. And I mean, I remember when Zach was touring in the nineties and I, you know, there was no way of ever knowing when, when bands like Jawbox were coming through, you just sort of had to see a poster somewhere or, or be scouring the local, Music magazine for whatever the show listings were, and now it's like we have these ability. We have bands in town. That app that people can, you know, modify their own notifications and have them be notified if a band is coming within fifty miles of where they live. I mean, stuff like that is amazing. Yeah, and we yeah. do, you know, we have people come out to our shows in like Seattle that. I mean, we have a, a, a couple that listen to our band that live in Seattle that first saw us play with Mutoid Man in Louisville, Kentucky, and got on our mailing list. And because we send out a newsletter once a, once a month, saw that we were coming to Seattle and had their bands in town notification stuff set up, and, and they come and see us whenever we're in the Northwest. and that's two people, but it's amazing to me that we're able to do that because I don't know them in real life.
1: Right, right. Yeah, cool. <laughs> how, much, how much of your energy has to go th- toward uh, sort of ma- maintaining a constant pre- presence on social media, which I hear is kind of the standard? Quite a
3: lot of energy. Yeah. Uh,
1: wh- yeah. Wh- what platforms are you on?
3: We are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and then all of the band listing platforms like Bands in Town, Songkick, I don't
1: know, Reverb Nation all that stuff <laughs> yeah. it seems like a part-time Everything. job in and of itself
3: yeah because they're not all connected yeah that's so right. you still you have to you have to enter the information into all that stuff so that it shows up on all of the different you know because Songkick is what manages the show listings on band camp but they don't <laughs> cross reference with bands in town and you know it's like it's crazy
4: so mm-hmm. One of the things that I think, I, I was thinking about this before the show, and, you know, we're we're all part of uh, Democratic Socialists of America, this punching out uh, yeah. collective. And, yeah. you know, yeah. the, the kind of, um, you know, the basis of socialism is, you know, having, you know, regular people own the means of production. And in music, that's happened. You know, I mean, we, yes, we you know, yes. when I was in a band, if you wanted to record something, you had to go to some studio and have some studio engineer do your stuff because nobody knew how to do it right. Mm-hmm. You know, and and right. now now we can do it. We can put it out of record. We could, you know, advertise it ourselves. And and it's turned into like a kind of catastrophe. Yeah. Instead of being, mm-hmm. because it, you know it's, it, well, you it's know. still
1: it's we own the means of production and and the, and the means of the knowledge of uh, production, but we don't. We're still embedded inside an economy. Right. Right. So like what we've done is basically devalue devalue our commodity, but then we still got to sell it. Right. In order to make a living.
4: <laughs> right. Right. It's just a Tricky. strange paradox. <laughs> yeah. You know. Str- and we str-
3: haven't figured that out at all because no. now music is to be free. Yeah, so right. it's like it doesn't, it doesn't really work. It's
4: free, but yeah. you still gotta make a living. It, it sounds, it sounds great and and socialistic and <laughs> you know and all kinds of stuff, but it isn't. It's a nightmare. If you it know, were the case, if it were the
1: case that you didn't, you didn't need to like like still sell your labor in order to survive. Like the, then like if we
4: had socialism, it would be the most wonderful thing of all, but yeah. we don't. So we are screwed. Yeah. There'd be so <laughs> right. many bands. Yeah. There'd be we so have many good bands. Right. Right. With the
1: means of production.
4: Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's a uh, funny contradiction.
2: It's
1: always kind of miraculous to me when I meet somebody who's even remotely making a living doing music. Uh or even if it's just like making half their living doing music. It that just doesn't doesn't make sense to me. It's kind of heroic.
3: My band stays in the black, but that is only because, like I said, because we're two people, and also mm-hmm. because we don't pay ourselves for our time
1: right.
2: doing
3: right. all the aforementioned stuff, like all that online stuff, which seems like it's nothing, but it's hours and hours and
2: Oh, hours sure.
1: Hours of
3: time. sure. <laughs> you know? No one's getting paid for that. So,
1: so is, the goal, is the goal for you to just be able to sustain completely off of music? Uh, is that something you're interested in doing? or?
3: Uh, yeah, that's the fantasy. Yeah, yeah, that's maybe. right. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know that it will ever be. Um, I seem to be getting further and further away from anything that's attractive to the mainstream mm. right, for my for my own output. Right. It's, our music is just getting louder and meaner, so I don't know that it's <laughs> ever going to be <laughs> invited to the main stage, you know, so to speak. But, um, but I but I'm gratified by it, and um, you know, to the 60 people that listen to our band, like I, you know. I'm very grateful for their attention mm-hmm. and uh, we try to be kind and um, generous of spirit, and you know, you... to the people that engage.
0: Is your band on Spotify or, and if not, have you, have you thought about going on there? Is it something you feel? We are. Oh, okay.
3: Yeah. We are.
0: Is that, I mean, I mean, do you just feel it's like a net positive just to be on there? And I mean, how do you, I like, I, I at least get the sense that musicians, especially, you know, most of them at least that are kind of, you know, smaller, probably uh, hate it because you know you get like less than a cent uh, per play it from what I'm told um I mean how do you uh, how do you (laughs) view that I mean I'm sure you view that distribution model being very unequal but uh I mean, what do you do? You see it as potentially being good, or as something that has to be done away with, both as uh, distribution and as you know, telling fans is uh, how to consume your music. Because I know, because I, uh, I mean, I'm a bad person, I guess. But th- right now, the only way I'm paying for music is through satellite radio subscription and Spotify subscription, which is like ten dollars a month. And I yeah,
3: my bandmate Jerry has Spotify. Yeah. I don't because I, honestly, I don't even know how to get it. I don't even know what it is. I'm not gonna lie to you. I don't. <laughs> I don't even get it, but um and i don't I don't know if I even listen to music thats on Spotify. I listen to like the Bad plus, you know, oh yeah, the Bad plus rules <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> i saw I saw I them play live know. at
1: Jazz fest here. They're great,
3: they're incredible we we just saw them play an organ uh at the end of their tour with um Ethan Iverson, mm-hmm. you know, because they just switched over, uh, right. and they now have a new pianist, but um so i I'm you know my case is irrelevant because <laughs> I was not whatever. I don't listen to, like, Kesha or whatever people listen to, but um, uh, I think, you know what? Like, I think Spotify sucks, but I also think that if it's it's a way that people are finding music, whether it's mainstream music or weird music like ours, like, Mm. it's okay. I do still think that going to see bands live is important. Not just for the bands, but I just think for like the human condition. I think interacting with art in real life is important. I think going to art galleries is important. You know, I just, I, I think seeing a painting in a gallery versus seeing a painting on your computer—that's not, you know, I mean that that is what it is, right? Yeah. I mean, we don't need to break that down any further. Right. I think that real human experiences are still important to our souls. Um, but you know, I mean, I, my way of thinking is certainly like. Not everybody's, and you know, people are always talking to me about like, well, friendship commanders need to get their songs on on this or that Spotify playlist, and mm-hmm. that's nice. If someone gets, I don't even know what that means, but if, <laughs> if someone if you can someone make own. gets our song on a playlist and it makes our life better, that's fine, I guess. Yeah. But I still hope that you go see someone play live ever, even right. if it's not me. <laughs> yeah. And I and I hope you start a band, you know, yeah. whoever's listening, like because it's it's good for you,
1: yeah, you know. Yeah. And I I I spent a long time. I have like a solo project. It's kind of like math like math metal or whatever. And I do that for my own personal betterment. But like I I really got the itch to start playing live music. Um, so I I started doing like free improv and noise and stuff as a drummer. Um, and I sort right. of, I sort of fell out of that, and I didn't play live for a really long time, and it like it it made my soul feel sick. I didn't I wanted yeah. I really needed to do it. So um so that's what like Tom Tom and I were always, already doing like politics stuff together. Uh, and luckily, he like he asked me to join his band, and I just like really wanted to do that. So I just play shows, just get in front of people, make noises, and like have people. Yeah, it's good for it. Have you yeah. know, get some feedback and like see reaction. people enjoy what yeah. you do. Like yeah. that's a that's a really important thing, and especially in rock and roll. Like that's I mean, jazz is jazz is cool. Like I love jazz, but like that's not. Uh, unless it's like a real gut bucket stuff, like like all like, like bop, like classic bop and stuff like that, it's at this point kind of an academic discipline. Um, so the yeah. experience of going to see, see jazz is like going kind of going to a museum, but like a rock show. Like a rock show is something that is an unparalleled unpar- visceral experience. experience. And uh, I, missed I agree. It.
3: And I'll say that I have terrible stage fright. Um, I, Me too. I, like like I vomit before I play. Still mm-hmm. all the time. I hate it. Um, oh. But I wow. still think it's important. Yeah. I still go and do it, you yeah. know, and I book my own tours. Yeah. Even though I like think it also might be killing me. I just think it's I just think that for the human condition it's it's a positive. Yeah. You know, both to receive it and
2: to give it. Yeah, I agree. For sure.
4: I'm a total ham. I love being on stage. <laughs> even though I'm like oh, kinda man, shy. I
2: <coughs> to you about that.
4: Even though I'm shy personally, like I love being up on stage and, you know, just kicking it out there. I don't know why. It just uh yeah. to... Maybe it's yeah. I
0: don't know.
1: That's it's it's good it's good for you. And yeah.
0: Like, oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> do you think um do you think audiences themselves, even when people do go to live shows, and I know I know we mentioned that like some of the audiences are shrinking, especially for certain genres. Do you think that uh, the audiences themselves, when they're there, are not what they used to be? I know sometimes like even bigger like like I know like Dave Grohl for example, one time was like, "Oh, everyone's like on their phones at the shows," which I'm like, "Okay, it's not it's really." It's Yeah. yeah
3: the phone thing is like a, like a social epidemic, I think. Like whatever it has tapped into in our psyches, which is just this collective narcissism or, or massive insecurity. I don't, or I don't know if that's the same thing, uh, but something has happened with the phones. And a friend of ours plays bass um, with Jack White, who lives here in Nashville and um, they just played a local show the other night. And, we went, and they took our phone – they they put our phones in these pouches so we couldn't <laughs> use them throughout this, the event.
0: I've heard of that happening. And I
3: know. Yeah, totally. And I, at first I was like, this is fascist America, you know. But,
0: <laughs> but, then,
3: but then I was like – you're kind of relieved yeah, yeah. i mean it's like yeah, yeah, there's yeah. nothing else to do except be present which is so weird at this
1: point in time yeah, like, yeah you have to <laughs> you have to sort of be policed against yourself uh so that you can be yeah. where you are
4: <laughs> i just ditched my yeah. my smartphone I, I bought a nokia 3310 just like a 1999 smart uh you know, you. dead phone because i just wanted
0: to be able to be
4: yeah
0: here i feel like that's like a trend yeah. that's happening too Good. See, I'm someone who, like, I'll take one picture uh, when I'm at a show, and I'll do everything I can to not touch it until there's, like, a break or intermission. Yeah. <laughs> like, I take one picture, maybe post it after the show, and that's it. That's So I try and be a good audience member.
1: I think I'm I'm old, enu- I'm old enough that, like, I've – I feel embarrassed using my phone during a show. Like if I, <laughs> if I even have to look at my clock at a show, I'll like kind of hide it with my hands so nobody can see that <laughs> yeah. I'm doing it. It's like, it's just an incredibly disrespectful thing to do. It is, yeah. yeah it's also a waste of my I own time.
3: That the, I realized at that Jack White show that I use mine a lot to see what time it is. And I was like, I need to just get a, a watch. Right. You know, like back to the days of having just a plain old analog watch on my wrist so I don't have to look at my phone and see what time it is. <laughs> <clears throat> but yeah, no, I think that the phone thing really does change the music experience. When you know, I mentioned being at that Royal Thunder show, people were just standing there. I mean, she's on stage, just like literally drooling. Yeah. I mean, she does. She's, yeah. she's a, she she froths and foams and plays bass. <laughs> that's, and it's, that's something it's else. It's really heavy, you know. And um, and people were just like scrolling through Instagram. And I thought it, it seemed terrible.
4: To what me. a drag!
0: Why you even know? show up?
3: What a drag! Don't go. Yeah. <laughs>
4: I remember I I, yeah. I played a show in the early two thousands uh, at, at a club. You know I was in the psych folk group and there was somebody sitting there talking on the phone and it was like you know it was just a regular cell phone and they were like shouting into the phone and somebody wow. picked somebody picked up an ashtray and threw it at them hit them in the head <laughs> and was like shut the. F-
0: Ashtray oh. too. It. <laughs> yeah. It's all in your hair. Yeah. Like.
4: I mean, and like clocked him, you know. So like, and you can't <laughs> wow. even. Im- and that was the. People are they were outraged that somebody was behaving this way, but now you wouldn't even notice, you know. Yeah.
3: No, now it's become that's the norm. It's terrible. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, even though it's fascist America, I kind of support the putting the phone in the thing for yeah, the duration yeah. of the of the live performance because it really it really did change the yeah. whole vibe of the of the event that was we were all just like watching the show. Yeah. That's was it, it. like? Was so it
4: was like a metal mesh faraday cage or something.
3: <laughs> it was like a, it was kind of made of like neoprene.
4: Oh, okay. And it
3: had a, like a little lock thing on the front of it that oh. only the people at the door could undo. Oh, no. Nice.
1: So they let you have your phone, and you just didn't have access to it.
3: Yeah, so you have your phone. I th- I definitely wasn't going to turn it in, you know, for fear right. of stuff being switched, but yeah. uh, you have your phone but it's in a neoprene case.
1: That's hilarious. So That's great. I want to do nothing that. Nothing to do with it should do that yeah. for day of the locust yeah
3: you should i can't please <laughs> let me know if you do that <laughs> i love day of the locust <laughs> uh
1: so we Thank we you. have about five to ten minutes left um is there is there any kind of like parting thoughts you have about uh, about the industry about your experience uh trying to trying to be in it and uh be healthy and whole while doing it um anything you want to cover
3: well, just like be for each other you know yeah. be for other people be for yourself um but don't be so for yourselves that you're the only one that you ever think about. I really, I'm I'm really trying to be a member of the world and the music community that is for other people, because I think that what happens is that it is so intensely hard to make work and have it be heard or acknowledged at this point Mm. that we tend to just go like hyper independent um, and just sort of grind away at that. But I think it's important to give support and, um, and whatever love to other bands and other people making work out in the world of of all stripes, yeah. so I, I think it's the only way we actually benefit as a society.
1: I, yeah, that's right. That's right. And yeah, we're not, we're not islands, especially creatively. I mean, it's really it's really important to like no. have other people to bounce I, things off of and share sharing perspectives.
3: Yeah, I went to visual arts school, and you know, when I was nineteen or twenty, I went to Mass Art in Boston, and I had this great sculpture teacher. Um, named Taylor Davis. And the first thing she said to our class is, if you are one of these people that believes that you're making work for yourself, let it go immediately. Mm. You're making work to be part of the bigger conversation. Mm -hmm. Welcome.
4: Yeah.
1: Right. That's fantastic
4: advice. And I agree. Yeah. I agree. I remember uh, I, you know, I've I've played different kinds of obscure types of music that like nobody would ever want to listen to. And I remember uh, (laughs) there's, um, uh, jazz keyboardist. I can't remember his name, but he, he they were asking him about like, you know, modal jazz and and, and you know and, and experimental jazz and he just looked at him and said, I bow to the masses. <laughs> wow. And he did. He made a lot of money too, you know. So Is that McCoy Tyner or something? No, no, no. It was uh, yep. I, I can't remember he's a keyboard jazz player, like right. you know, it late sixties kind of. Uh yeah, so I think we can maybe
1: call it there. Um Yoke, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for
0: talking to us friendship commander rules
2: thank you for including me do you (laughs) want to uh
0: toss out your social media like information uh maybe how to you know your spotify or all that stuff i mean just so people in order to find you and give you some views give you yeah well
3: we're just called friendship commanders you can find us under that name on every single one of your platforms Mm -hmm, digital analog whatever (laughs) great great.
4: use your favorite search engine friendship commanders
2: (laughs) yeah play a little bit of their music yeah, we'll I'll Thank see if I can so get much some. New for music. for having
1: in. me. Yeah, d- d- thanks again. I'm sorry for the technical difficulties uh, uh yeah. out front, but oh, I, no I, it looks like we got through uh, unscathed and uh this should this should work just fine. Um Awesome. So uh so good luck and uh hopefully we'll talk again sometime. Yeah.
0: Rock on.
4: Awesome. Good luck to you. Thanks Th- so much. Thanks, Piuc. Thank you, Bye <laughs> thanks, bye.